0: This morning, uh, we continue with our sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew, and we are up to the part that is the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be doing the Sermon on the Mount for multiple weeks, because this is really Matthew's introduction to Jesus. He's a teacher, he's a rabbi, and before he does any miracles, he does a lot of teaching. So the Sermon on the Mount is actually really quite long, multiple verses and multiple ideas. The Beatitudes are the part that kicks it off. And we're not going to spend a whole bunch of time breaking down every single word in the Beatitudes today because, really, it's introductory material. It is an introduction to the other ideas of the Sermon on the Mount. So all these ideas will come back later on in the rest of the sermon. But as we do look at it in particular, this introductory thing we call the Beatitudes, here's my question for you. Why is Jesus on a mountain? Why does it matter that he's on the mountain? And let me do a little comparison for you. Remember that in the Gospel of Luke, we get uh, a similar sermon on the Mount, but it's not the Sermon on the Mount in Luke. It's the Sermon on the Plain. And these writers kind of apparently had some source material of what was written down that Jesus said, and then they took it and they kind of crafted it into the way they were going to portray Jesus. And that's fine. That's good. That's a portrait of Jesus we get from both of them. But each are doing their own thing luke it seems pretty obvious that what he's doing is he's taking the sermon down to the people right you're on a level playing field with everybody and then when he does the sermon on the plane the language changes in the Beatitudes. so you don't have uh, you don't have blessed are the poor in spirit you have blessed are the poor Luke's version is very much down on everyone's level and very much talking about the physical realities of the world, the rich and the poor, and the things we experience in a physical way on earth. You can feel the difference that Matthew goes in this other direction where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. So why up on a mountain? Why would he make that point? All right here's the beginning of the answer this is the one that I found in the commentaries that I really like Okay, remember that in Matthew I did this the first couple of weeks when we started is Matthew is very much focused on talking to the Jewish community to those in the audience whether they were Christians or they were still Jews and they maybe were against the Christian movement or whatever it is he's very much focused on that Jewish Messiah connection and so in the very first weeks I talked about how Matthew establishes a beat right he went In the genealogies, I went, David, 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 making the point, Jesus is the son of David. He's Jewish. And if you paid attention through those first four chapters, it was one prophet after another being quoted, whether it was Isaiah or Hosea or anybody who had a messianic kind of message. Matthew goes, look at how Jesus fits the pattern." Now, don't forget, I also said Jesus is going to take that pattern and he's going to do the downbeat, right? Remind those who don't fit the pattern. But the pattern of Jewishness really matters. This does not change when Matthew gives us a version of the Sermon on the Plain or this time the Sermon on the Mount. Look at your text. How many B attitudes are there? I'm going to give you a second. Count them. Go ahead, look at it. Count them. How many B attitudes are there? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted. What am I up to? Nine. And then there's one last verse which is, it doesn't say blessed, but there is sort of a a direction like a blessed would go where it says rejoice and be glad. How many fingers am I holding up? Ten. Ten. So let's go back to your Old Testament imagination, the Jewish beat. Who goes up a mountain and comes down with ten things to say? Moses. Moses, and thank you, Moses and the Ten Commandments. Matthew is going, here's your new prophet, Because Moses was the great prophet of the Old Testament. He was the one who kicked off the tradition. Moses is the tradition. And so Jesus is standing up on a mountain like Moses would have. and He's got ten things to say. But remember, this this would not be, in Matthew's mind, a replacement of the Mosaic law. He's fitting the pattern. What Jesus will say later on is, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. So... Moses goes up a mountain. He comes down with 10 things to say. All of them are what? Thou shalt not. 10 things not to do. Okay, so if you you eliminate things from your life you're supposed to do, Jesus fulfills the law by telling you then 10 things to do. Right? Be attitudes. Be like this. The kingdom is like this. You be like it as well. Another interesting thing is, again, fulfilling the law, it's not just that now we get these positive affirmations of what to do, but you also then get with Jesus, uh, think about those commandments. Think about what they were. Thou shalt not kill, steal. They're all behavioral, right? They're all things you do out here in the world, what you do with your hands and your life and your living. Jesus fulfills the law by going, okay, if you get that, now look inside. Sometimes Matthew gets a bad rap. Because Luke does this thing where it gets very much just hands-on into people's lives and talks about what's going on, right? You're actual poor people versus actual rich people. And then people go, oh, Matthew. He's always trying to do this bourgeoisie kind of thing where you let the rich off the hook. They don't have to stop being rich. They just have to be poor in spirit, right? Matthew gets, gets negatively criticized because of what people have done with this message. But understand that that isn't what he's doing. He's going, I'm just taking the law, which had a very behavioral thing, and then saying, okay, if you're ready to do that, let's take the next step and look inside at why you're doing it. So it's a whole message. And in fact, as we talk about the Beatitudes, uh, I want you to remember this. Matthew and Luke may have their own versions of, you know, speaking to a jewish community speaking to a gentile community or the christian community differently but they're looking at the same world right they're written at the same time in history this connection to moses and where the people just came from one commentator made the point that both luke and matthew are looking at a world that is right around them and they're seeing the same world again jesus's big emphasis in matthew is repent, turn around. The world might be good, but it's not good enough. Luke goes there directly and talks about the poor and the rich. But Matthew's looking at the same world. So one commentator said, understand this. Here is the reality of people's lives if they were poor in this time. Not everyone was straight up poor like this, but if you were poor it was built into the fabric of society that if you were that kind of poor, that Luke's talking about, and Matthew's looking at him too, you know that there would be choices in your life like, do I sell myself into slavery? I know we kind of have our own picture of slavery in the world because we kind of have our own history with it in this country, but it wasn't stealing people from other lands and, then, and making them work, that wasn't slavery. Slavery was going, I'm so poor that if I'm going to survive in this world, I actually have to sell myself to someone else because there's no other way to make it. The poor that Luke and Matthew are both talking to are the kind of people who had to make the choice of whether or not to sell their children into slavery. To make the choice of, they stay with me and they starve to death, or I give them to someone else who owns them, but at least they live. There's... No sense in Matthew actually that he's doing a a bougie kind of thing, going, let people off the hook in very physical ways in the world. All he's saying to this crowd is, you need to look beyond just what you do and look at why you do it. So, and we'll see this way more as the Sermon on the Mount goes on, but when we look at those words, blessed are the poor in spirit, it's understanding. You know, yes, the rich are going to have a harder time being faithful because they, they're prideful. They, they've gotten their reward in this world. Matthew doesn't deny that. But he's also looking at poor people and going, hey, poor people, don't just think because you're poor, you're always right. <laughs> have you ever met somebody who, even though they live on the very edge of our society, like they have just this very little bit, they are just as afraid of the world changing because they would have, they're even more afraid that they will lose that little piece they do have. And so they will double down on protecting the world the way it is too. This is the kind of place Matthew wants to go to. It's not just your outward ways, what's going on inside. If you're afraid, poor people, that the world will change and you're going to lose your little bit, this is where we've got to start looking. So he's going to talk about poverty differently than Luke those who mourn, he is talking about the very people who understand when the rest of the world goes, yeah, that's normal. People sell their children into slavery. How else would you do it? And there's people who go, there's something really sad about that. And it's not just me losing my beloved person and I'm at a funeral, but it's that the entire world is still broken and I can't accept that. Though it's the kind of mourning that's being blessed here. The meek, we will find out later on, means nonviolence. Blessed are those who do not take up sword, whether with, and this because you go inside, it's not just your behavior, but with your words and the way you speak. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, people go, oh, that bougie way of thinking. That, you know, it's all just about how I behave. That I just have to be like some sort of kind of good, righteous person. Matthew's going, understand that righteousness is waiting for God to change the world. Because if you've ever met somebody who's poor, who holds on to it, I bet you've also met that social justice warrior who's actually quite rich. And they're bound and determined they're going to change the world. But they're like Godzilla, just burning everything down on their way. when we detach repentance from God's kingdom, from the same kind of language, actually, that's in Psalm 103 about graciousness and mercy, we become Godzilla in our attempt to change. And that is not what's being blessed. It's that thirsting for God's righteousness. We're gonna see that more. We're gonna see it with the word mercy, which is, is all about compassion and forgiveness in the Sermon on the Mount. The pure in heart. I like this one because what it actually meant in the original Greek was a drive for God. Again, it wasn't just being a good little boy and girl. It was a drive to see God act. To meet God. Then there's the peacemakers. Peacemakers are, man, that's a tough one. I get this one. In a little bit I'm going to talk about what it's like to kind of try and listen to the still small voice on this list and try and find yourself. And I recognize this one in myself. It is so hard to be a peacemaker because peacemakers, the ones that are being blessed here, are not the ones who just kind of go okay, everything's fine. They're the ones that go nothing is fine. But it can be if we work together for change. That's peacemaking. That's being blessed here. And, of course, then you get the last couple of ones, which are all all about persecution, which I just want to highlight one thing about this, because this will also mean a lot to Jesus. Uh, Those who persecute you falsely. (laughs) Again, Matthew gets accused of of allowing people to kind of get into that place in their head where they go, oh, I'm being persecuted, but I'm being persecuted for the cause of Christ. So whatever I say, and whatever I do, it's okay. Jesus is like, no. It's what it happens falsely. I'm not giving you permission to just be a horrible person. To be Godzilla, blowing everybody over. This is the introductory to a whole bunch of other ideas. But today, since you know, we, we're not going to go through every single one in great detail, we'll let the rest of the Sermon on the Mount do that. What I want us to contemplate, what I want you to contemplate is this idea if we find a way to block out the noise for a minute and the world is full of noise but if we block out the noise for a minute hear where the gospel began which is fear not take a deep breath and look at this list and go which one am i because jesus is not just giving us new commands he is speaking about hearts and these hearts that have already been moved by the Spirit in some way. You don't have to be everything on the list at once. I don't think that's possible. At least it's not for me. I've been described as many things in lo- this life. Meek is probably not one of them. Peacemaker maybe on occasion. But when you get down into that list and you look at it, which one makes your heart beat? Because you know that's the one God says, I have called you to be it you collectively as the church of jesus christ i'm calling you collectively to be this in the world as this kingdom comes which one are you in the midst of that whole community look at that listen of which one when i'm being my best self am i capable of being and understand that right now it's more important than ever I remember last week when, I, when Alan mentioned when we talked about doing Christmas Eve and realizing this, this time this year, even with everything going on, that's why it's more important than ever we figure out what to do for Christmas Eve. And I've been thinking about that moment all week when we talked about that and going, yes, that's right. There is a call to the church of Jesus Christ as a community in this world right now to do something that is repentance, but in terms that Jesus would have called repentance right? Words like poor in spirit, mournful, meek, but seeking righteousness, being merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. These are the kinds of ideas this world needs now because it's more hurt, more burnt, more broken than we've probably seen in most of our lives, at least in my life. I know so many people right now who are so afraid because the world is changing so fast. And it feels like they're getting left behind. And I know other people who are so afraid because they thought the change was good. And then when it gets pushed back on, they're like, why do you hate this? These changes were good. I know people who are terrified of dying in the midst of a pandemic. I know people whose houses are burning down. I know people who are afraid of that death they are afraid of what it means that there are riots in the streets and there are people who are afraid of what it means if we just stop caring about why there's more riots in the streets and just try and make that simple peace come back. The whole world is afraid to me. That's the way I read it. Ruth Bader Ginsburg died two days ago. And yesterday morning, you know this is not a big criticism of the media because this is what they're going to do but it it turned on the news and there's people commenting on what it means that ruth bader ginsburg has died and the thing that came out of their mouth was well this will mean both people's bases in the election will try and energize their base more and i just kind of went more energy aren't people already living up here in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of big national decisions and change and everything else, how much more energized can any of us get? And how much more are we actually supposed to look at these kinds of moments and go, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, because that will get people to act. And I'm saying, however it turns out, the church in the midst of it has got a lot of wounds to help bind. On a night like Christmas Eve, which will be coming, think about it. Think of just how tired of this year and everything it has been, everybody will have been. And how badly we need a message of hope. That's the church's place in this world. It's not to run away from it. It's not to pick sides, necessarily. But it is to walk into it and say that there is a kingdom coming. And it is marked by this humility of a poor spirit. The willingness to be sad over the brokenness of the world that comes from mourning. It's the world where you can act nonviolently. You can want God. You can desire God and God's righteousness in this world. And you can act mercifully and we can be peacemakers. There's a lot of binding up of the wounds that is coming if it's not already here. That's why we talk like this now. This is what repentance and what the call to the disciples after that word means. Jesus looks at us and goes, I want the world to change and I want it to change this way. I'm going to make it change this way. Come and join me in doing it. This is the invitation to repentance. And it starts inside this time. Inside to look at ourselves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for all the promises you've made that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And thank you that you have invited us to share that good news with the world In these moments when it feels like the world can't hear it, when there's just way too much fear to respond to, help us to dig in our feet and call out with rejoicing and gladness all these things that you have already placed in our hearts. May we hear those still, small voices speaking, and may we respond to them instead of all the noise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's join together and sing The Church's One Foundation.